0: Welcome back to the town Riot. This is Thomas Mayfield alongside Matt Raymer and Bobby Lloyd. I am back on this week's session, like Steph Curry was back in, uh, in the series against Portland. We're going to start off here with some Steph Curry talk, um, specifically the Thunder and Warriors series, a shocking, shocking win. I would... I- for in my opinion, for the Thunder yesterday. Yeah,
1: it seems like nobody was picking the Thunder to come into Golden State and win that game. Um, everyone, everyone, had kind of counted them out with how great the Warriors have been. But I feel like after watching the War, uh, the Thunder dismantle the Spurs in the fashion that they did, taking two games in San Antonio. I honestly, I wasn't that surprised. I felt like. They just had all cylinders rolling. Um, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, of course, two of the best players probably in the history of the game, lacing up for the same team. And then their big man rotation with Adams and Cantor and Ibaka just seemed like it's it's a tough team to deal with, especially on the boards.
0: To me, though, even though they did dismantle San Antonio, I've always just considered the Warriors as just a different animal. Like, how are they just how are they going to lose four games in a seven-game series when they lost nine in 82 games this season? It's just, like, I, I was totally shocked by the first the first uh, game lost by them. It, it was surprising. It was no doubt surprising. However, the series is not over. Everybody keeps talking about this series. They did take a huge momentum swing, and I think the biggest thing when it comes to the Thunder right now is they have momentum. They just knocked off the Spurs twice in San Antonio. Um... And really, the winning four out of five games against San Antonio because they got their butt kicked in the first game that series, and now they're on a roll. They found a lineup that really is playing great. It's their best lineup by having Cantor and Adams and the Deion Waiters, Westbrook, and Durant. That lineup together is really doing well because their rebounding is off the charts. They're the number one rebounding team in the NBA, and it really pressed the issue. However... Golden State blew a 20-point lead last night. They had a big lead. They got really loosey-goosey in the second half, turning the ball over way too much. Turnovers were the big key. And what Russell Westbrook went off in the third quarter. I mean, he scored 17 points in the third quarter. So I, I think the series is by no means over. However, I think it makes it really interesting. And What would it be in the
1: first game that they took in in Golden State, then Game 2 will be played in Golden State tomorrow night. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. So that becomes an absolute must-win for the Warriors. 100%. So it's one basketball game that they have potential to lose, and if they lose, it's pretty much death for them on the season. So a a lot's at stake for Game 2. Would would you agree with that, Matt?
0: Oh, completely. The Warriors have to win Game 2. The Warriors are known to be the... Best home court advantage in the NBA. They only lost two regular season games at home this season. Aside from San Antonio, maybe. San Antonio, yeah, aside from San Antonio, who lost one. So stats backed it up. However, for the past two seasons, Golden State has been really, Impeccable. really good at home. So I think. And this... there's just no way
1: you can go back into Oklahoma City after losing two games at home and expect to have any hope of winning that series, having to play the next two games in Oklahoma. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the Warriors. And I think, Matt, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with this one. With the momentum thing, it kind of seems like the uh, Thunder are just hitting their stride at the perfect time in the season, whereas the Warriors have been hot all year and then in the playoffs have had to deal with adversity and had to deal with injuries. And it's kind of slowing them down a little bit and maybe messing up their groove.
0: Yeah, the Thunder have stayed remarkably healthy this entire time. They haven't had any injuries in the playoffs or leading into the playoffs. Which is so fortunate thinking about Durant last season. That was that was such a scare, I feel like, for that franchise because, because his uh, fracture.
1: That's true, yeah. And then a
0: lot of bigger, longer guys have trouble recovering from that. That can be like a lingering injury for years to come. And it seems to have not have... Yeah, thinking
1: about it, honestly, it seems like the Thunder have been kind of... uh, The injury bug has bitten them pretty hard the last couple seasons. I remember the uh, Russell Westbrook knee injury and then uh, Kevin Durant injury. It seems like they haven't really had a healthy run in the playoffs maybe since uh, since the finals when they
0: played against the Heat. Right. So, even though they lost, I feel like most people... Anyway, I do. I feel like I'm the th- the Warriors are going to bounce back. It'd be hard to believe that they're not. But in the second half, I feel like they got away from the Warriors basketball that we've seen the whole year. It was it was sloppy. It was more one-on-one stuff. We're used to seeing some of the best ball movement in the history of basketball. Like the most like fun. Well, they average like yeah. 29 assists a game. Right and. I mean, Curry had seven turnovers (laughs) yesterday, which is not characteristic of him. Um, Yeah, it was not not stereotypical how they played the past two seasons. They threw up a lot of quick shots really early in the shot clock. However, a lot of these really tough shots that they're getting harped on today, a lot by the media, they shot all season, but they just go in on a lot of games. They They have such good shooters. When Clay Thompson pulls up for a quick three, or Steph Curry pulls up for a quick three, that goes in fifty percent of the time. So they don't get you don't hear any cries when that goes in. So I think we got to be really hesitant on overreacting on one game. It is a huge game, no doubt. It, it takes the serious control shifts home court now to Oklahoma City. However, when you look at Oklahoma City's home record this season, they lost nine games at home this season. So they do not, in my opinion. And statistically, they do not have the same home court advantage as Golden State. So I see Golden State easily going into the Thunder and taking the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think in any way is this series going to be determined by this one game. Uh, obviously, if the Warriors are still in a great position. They, they still have uh, the best team in history of basketball and uh most incredible three-point shooting that we've ever seen all on their side like ready to go they only they have to win four out of the next six games which is well below how many games they've they've won on average this season one thing i'm kind of interested about to uh to hit on your point thomas it seems like maybe there's something about this thunder defense that is challenging to teams because when i was watching them beat the spurs The Spurs were getting into a lot of isolation plays also, and I'm wondering if it might just be the extreme amount of athleticism and length is making uh, passes more challenging or just like harder to move the ball against this team, and so it's forcing teams into more isolation situations. I mean, it's just interesting to see because we're talking about two teams that have made their living off of moving the ball – Uh, passing five or six times per possession and and getting open shots, and then see both of these teams kind of start to rely on uh, hero ball, isolation ball to try to beat the Thunder. And uh, it's not working to this point.
0: Yeah, it could be like a a defensive strategy. It also could just be panic, I feel like, by those teams. In certain situations when when teams panic, they kind of can get away from their identity. It's a good point because what Oklahoma City was doing last night against Golden State was they were switching a lot of screens. And a lot of them were switching where Kevin Durant now guards Curry. And so that is a very interesting matchup because you got, what, a 7, 8-inch difference and then you got really long arms of Kevin Durant. So with somewhat quickness, not as much as Curry, but he still has good quickness. So, I mean, they're able to do things other teams can't. And then one that you really, really have to appreciate is Russell Westbrook's hustle. He is incredible. He has so many hustle stats out there on the defensive side where he'll get back and get in position and get steals completely on hustle. He's extremely athletic, but he's also maybe the person that plays harder than anybody in the NBA.
1: Russell Westbrook. So in my opinion, I think Russell Westbrook might be... Might have overtaken uh, the best player on the Thunder spot from Durant in the last couple of years. Like to me, let
0: no, I me mean, with that. How do you feel that it's kind of Russell Westbrook's team now, not Kevin Durant's team? That is the way I
1: feel. Okay. I feel like like if this was Jordan and Pippen, Westbrook is Jordan, and Durant is Pippen. Like I feel like this is Westbrook's team. He's putting he's putting up the numbers. He's the emotional leader. Uh, his hustle plays are setting the tone for for their defense and their offense. I mean, granted, he makes mistakes. He's not the same type of efficient player. But as far as like being a leader and uh, kind of the face of that franchise, it just feels to me like this is a Russell Westbrook basketball team with the pace, with the style of play, with the ferocity, the anger, the explosiveness. Every it's all it's Russell Westbrook.
0: I would have to agree with you. I think it feels like a Russell Westbrook team. I think Kevin Durant is still the best player on that team. However, I think it feels like a Russell Westbrook team. He feels like the leader of the team. So I guess I agree with both of you, and Bobby agrees with you as well. Because Bobby thinks Westbrook's the best player on that team. And I still think it's Durant's team. Do you remember in those interviews, those post-game interviews with Westbrook and Durant? Durant, I felt like Westbrook would defer to Durant on certain questions. Like Durant's still who Westbrook looks at. Looks to as like a mentor, I think. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can. I think there's an argument for both players. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking
1: about a guy. What did he? What? He just got 18 triple doubles this year, like the most since Magic Johnson. And
0: but Durant also had that ridiculous record like with that. Him, How many 20 point games in a row? Like yeah. And I mean, he, and both, then
1: a couple of years ago he did like the Larry Bird 90, efficiency yeah. record. They're both t- yeah.
0: two yeah. top 10 players in the NBA right now. They're really, really, really good. However, one thing that I have to point out, watching Russell Westbrook in the final two minutes of the game makes me nervous as hell if I'm a Thunder fan. I kind of feel that same way. I think he freaks out a little bit. If you watch the game last night and previous games, he throws passes that should not be made. Well, the, he tra- tries to- the travel that should have been called. The, tra- yeah. the travel that should have been called. There's no doubt that should have been called. However... The, wh- the ref- refs are scared to blow the whistle down the stretch. Well, I'm just adding to the point that Westbrook's frantic at the end yeah, of the, so, the game. Yeah, back to Russell Westbrook. He tries to thread the needle in the last two minutes on passes you should not do. This has happened all throughout these playoffs. And the Thunder really got lucky on a couple of those passes last night. He tried to throw a lob to Cantor last night with about 40 seconds left. That was a bad pass. It went off the backboard really hard and took a crazy bounce straight to a Thunder player. It was really lucky. That's normally a turnover. He planned it. Yeah, complete. <laughs> a pass off the backboard, final minute in the fourth quarter. God, there he's go. a genius. He's a straight genius. But that gives me a interesting point to uh, the refs. Uh, what do you guys feel in this NBA playoffs in general? The refs have had a really large impact on a lot of these games in very key situations in the fourth quarter. Do you think that it's more of the refs are just scared to blow the whistle? Which I think it is. I think the refs literally are scared to blow the whistle. Or do you think the refs don't see it? Is this new, though? I feel like this happens every year. I feel like people complain about calls every single year. And then I think the NBA is doing something dumb by saying, oh, yeah, we missed that. That should have been been the – we messed up on that call. And they announce it the next day. Then no one's happy. Then it's just like, well, what could have been that – I mean, I, I just don't. Well, so see this the point is the exact
1: opposite of what the NBA did ten years ago. So we're not we're not looking at a new situation. Reffing a basketball game is obviously um, extremely difficult. It, it's going way way faster, and these guys are making calls in the moment, in comparison to us who get to like watch sh- shots in slow motion from a ton of different camera angles. But that's their job, right? So so that's ten years ago. So ten years ago David Stern started fining NBA players, NBA coaches, uh, for criticizing referees and uh and the criticism of the referees kinda went down. They fired uh Bill Walton, was no longer analyzes NBA games because of how critical he was of refer- of the referees in the games. And so now uh Adam Silver is in charge, David Stern's no longer and uh, Adam Silver kinda thinks it's prudent to just kind of Admit all the mistakes that the referees are making towards the end of the games. I don't think it's a new situation. I mean, it is their job. It's uh, Golden State's job to go beat the Thunder. Everyone's got... I mean, it's a tough job. The refs did
0: not dictate the game. Yeah. However, an interesting point on the refs to kind of finish up this ref thing, because you're right, it does happen every single year, is most of these crazy calls, like these really controversial calls all have been in favor of Oklahoma City. Think about it. The both big games against the Spurs, both in favor of Oklahoma City. This game against the Warriors, in favor of Oklahoma City. So you could say it's it's better to be lucky than good in some situations, but Oklahoma City is hitting a lot of luck in these playoffs with injuries and referee points. I've never known Raymer to be a uh, conspiracy theorist of you, Bobby. Um... I honestly can't say, Matt. What
1: do you have any conspiracies about the Forty uh, ers Ravens, Super Bowl halftime? I <laughs> put you on the spot. Do you think it's coincidence or do you think it's a conspiracy? Just oh, well, we that's
0: completely it. changed topics there.
1: <laughs> I just want to know. I just oh. I just want one word: either coincidence or conspiracy
0: coincidence. Coincidence. Okay, I don't think he's a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. I'm just thinking that Oklahoma City has been, been very fortunate in okay. these playoffs. Fair enough. Well, I kind
1: of am a conspiratorial thinker. I mean, I've Is that a word? Conspiratorial. Yeah. Good word. Went to college, all right. and everything. Yeah. Um I've seen I mean, when when you look at the history of NBA refing with like Tim Donahue and his and his history of gambling on games uh NBA refs have come out and said that the front office has wanted them to extend series or or move certain players when you look at the uh the way that the games were ref for the Los Angeles Lakers during the during the Kobe years especially during the Kobe Shaq years and the amount of fouls that they got in comparison to other teams i think the NBA does do a uh Let's just say they they do a good job of trying to promote their superstars and putting their superstars in situations to succeed. Uh, The Oklahoma City Thunder have two of the biggest stars in the league. The Warriors have uh, some of the biggest stars in the league also, Steph Curry in particular. So, I mean, I don't think that it's beneficial for really the NBA in terms of financial – uh, success for either one of these teams to beat the other. I think like it doesn't really matter to them. So there's no real reason for a conspiracy yeah. like, oh, we need to get the Thunder to the finals or we need to get the Warriors to the finals. But I think you know, there is potential that they, that they're just
0: giving superstars calls the way that they always do. Speaking of superstars, me personally, as a basketball fan, I don't know if you guys agree, but were you, would you say, excited? At first I was wanting it to be a Spurs warriors matchup because i was like this is the best two records of a team of teams ever meeting in the playoffs i was like oh, this is going to be some high quality basketball but then once oklahoma city won i was like this might be the most aesthetically pleasing type of basketball to watch i mean we have three of the top 5 players like this is super exciting like some crazy talent and athleticism We're, did did you guys care about the matchup, or would you say you're more excited, but by the Thunder? It's a good question. I think uh, both game, both series have been extremely exciting. There would have been different. It would have been much more of a defensive struggle with the Spurs Warriors, which might be more boring. I mean, they're... which which might be what depends on what type of brand of battle you like. It's like when you go to the NFL. Do you want a defensive game or do you want an offensive shootout? So it's it's very interesting. When I say that, however, the game last night was not very high scoring. It was high scoring in the first half, but then it slowed down. But I think uh, it's definitely exciting having these superstars guard each other. When you have Curry and Westbrook guarding each other most of the game, that is one hell of a matchup. It is really exciting to watch, and you can see the competitiveness between the two players. They want want it bad, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's exciting. It's definitely fun to watch. Definitely, definitely. Speaking of another high-profile matchup, I just want to talk about this stat that I just found very interesting. So Heat Spurs 2, second time they played in the finals. Kawhi guarded LeBron, correct? Yes. LeBron averaged 28 points a game, 48% from the field, 52% from three. That's really good for him. Yeah, pretty amazing.
1: That's what Kawhi learned. That's what's cool.
0: The best defender in basketball guarding him, and Kawhi gets the MVP. And Kawhi was the MVP for his great defense. I mean, you probably deserved that MVP still. But. Speaking
1: of LeBron James, <laughs> let's give a little rundown on the Eastern Conference playoffs and what's going on over there with the Cavaliers and the Heat. I believe we—I mean, the Cavaliers and the, the Raptors. Raptors. I'm sorry. I believe we have a live game right now. Uh, Thomas, do
0: you know the score of that game? The score of that game is it's um, ninety seven to seventy Cleveland. The game is a blowout. What quarter? Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Ninety seven points already with eight minutes to go. Nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So what
1: I'm seeing out of these Cleveland Cavaliers is honestly they might be the favorite to win the championship right now. They look incredible. They almost just broke the record for amount of threes in an entire playoff series. They were three short of breaking it. It was like 74 threes in four
0: games. Mm-hmm. Today they've slowed down a bit. They've I mean, only made they've only threes, six or six, three, six, yeah. six sixteen. Um, but I mean, I just think with the floor spacing
1: ahead. that they get from having Channing Frye on the floor yeah. with Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, and Kyrie Irving, everyone can and shoot except LeBron. LeBron can shoot sometimes, but it doesn't. You put the ball in LeBron's hand. No one in the world can stop LeBron from getting in the paint when he wants right. to get in the paint. And you've got to collapse on him, and he finds shooters. It just seems like this might be the perfect team for LeBron to succeed with that style of basketball. Right. And uh, considering that they're, pr- it looks to me like they're probably going to walk through the Raptors the same way they've walked through everyone else, and whoever's coming out of the Western Conference is going to have to go through a battle. And then Does it make you
0: a- nervous, though, that Cleveland hasn't been tested because these teams in the Eastern Conference, especially Toronto's out, their starting center's out. Uh, uh, v- v- not Village, it's just the Orlando center. Uh, Valanchunas. Valanchunas, another crazy V name. He uh, is a starting center for Toronto. He's a very good player, and he's out. So they're an un- unmanned team already. So Cleveland's going to run right through them. Does it concern you? That they're not going to be battle tested. Like this is the, the same
1: argument that people were saying about the Warriors in in last year's playoffs was that they hadn't played against a healthy team and and hadn't hadn't really faced a hard challenge to get to the finals. Um, I don't i I really think given especially a veteran team like the Cavaliers, giving them an opportunity to rest. It's not like these guys didn't play hard basketball games all season, and they're still not playing hard basketball games. They're playing against the best teams in the East. Um the Raptors, the Celtics, who I don't remember who they beat in the first round. Detroit. Detroit, Detroit that's football. that's right. Okay, so maybe not Detroit. Detroit. And they didn't beat the Celtics. Who'd they off. beat? Atlanta. 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 So, so, I mean, those so, are great teams. Right. So, those are those are those are tough teams to beat. Well coached teams. Great also. teams is
0: a stretch. I I feel like they're always gonna want to take the rest though. LeBron last year, after losing, made the comment I feel like I'd rather just get eliminated earlier in the playoffs and make it to the finals and lose again, just because it's so much, so much wear and tear. Well, last the year, LeBron body, played the entire game and they had no support. This year, they're healthy, so that's a big key, right? Yeah, very key. Yeah, yeah. very
1: important. And the and the rest has a lot to do with it. I mean, we'll see. I'm predicting a seven-game series in the West and, like, a four- or five-game series in the East. We'll see if Toronto can take one. So the agree. The, the Cavaliers are hot, so...
0: So, before before the Thunder Warriors series, we're, we're just going to go through everyone here. Bobby actually has picked Thunder in seven. Raymer, what was your prediction? Did you have one? For the Warriors... Warriors Thunder. Uh, I was picking the Warriors in six. Okay. And I was actually going Warriors in five. So... So Bobby's.
1: So I feel like uh, I would. I wish my name was Matt, because then I would call myself Mystic Matt. Let me think. Some type of wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Bobby. I can't. I can't think of any. Anyways, I'm. I'm almost always right with these predictions. No,
0: Bobby, in the first. <laughs> would you pick the first round like Dallas to uh, freaking beat the Thunder or something like take did seven if that games didn't happen. or something ridiculous? Anyway. Don't Either pull way, up the old
1: podcast. These <laughs> uh, NBA guesses.
0: playoffs have been really interesting. And uh, this Western Conference battle is going to be super fun to watch. And uh, we'll take a short break and we'll see you guys in a second. And it feels so true. All right, here in New Mexico, we have lost our Albuquerque Isotopes to the Colorado Rockies, but I feel like this remains a Dodger town. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Los Angeles Dodgers, not just because of that, but I feel like they are a fascinating team to start uh, off the season here. So, right now, Dodgers currently have the largest payroll in baseball. And are sitting in third place in the NL West at twenty and nineteen. And I guess I just feel sorry for Mr. Clayton Kershaw, who is having another phenomenal year. He has won five games this year, and he has less walks than wins. He has four walks this season. It's incredible. Which is, if it's just out of control. So, I mean, it's just like this, this team is supposed to be chocked full of talent. I mean, you have Puig, you have Gonzalez, you have Chase Utley, and this huge payroll that's just not producing for, for Kershaw and just not producing runs in general. So, I just wanted to cover them a little bit. And Well, they started hot. They actually started this season pretty hot, and they've taken a slump lately. Um, Yasiel Puig, maybe the most polarizing player. He was another player. He started really hot, and now he's been slumping. And just in a the team, their hitting's not coming around. Jock Peterson's their young, uh, big hitter. He's hit a couple home runs, but. He, strikes out way too he much. Strikes out a lot, and he's still learning. Uh, so I feel like this is still a really development team. For me personally, I predicted them to be pretty good. However, I did not think of them as a World Series contender this year. Losing after losing, uh, after losing Grinky. Grinky, yes. right. I mean, you lose you lose another ace, a potential side one, Young winner pitcher, and I don't expect you to replace him. Okay. And last year it was pretty much Kershaw and Grinky carrying that entire team. Right. So for me to go on with one of my conspiracy theories is uh, the San Francisco. San Francisco Giants are in first place. They have won, what is it, three championships recently. They won, lost, won. Lost, won. won. Three in so five years. So they're due, basically. They, they are due. They had a great pitching staff. And every one of these years, this is what I heard recently on the radio, I'm still in this. Every year they have won, Taylor Swift has released an album the same year they've won a championship. So I don't know if T-Swift is due to release an album this year. But if so, look out for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm thinking, too. The Giants do have a good team, though. And I always root for those Bay Area teams. And uh, transitioning here to uh, the big story in baseball right now, right, is the brawl that happened in baseball. You don't see big brawls, big fights in baseball and this happened between the Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you recall, last postseason, they played each other. And Jose Bautista, in Toronto, hit a gigantic home run. To win the series. To win the series and flipped the bat dramatically. And it was a hell of a battle. It was like 14 seconds. Fun and to see. It was really fun. It was a dramatic home run. Especially for that city of Toronto who really supports their sports. Mm-hmm. And... It really, really ticked off the Rangers, obviously. So this is the last game of the series this season. And Batista was on first. And it was a... Well, Batista got hit earlier. Yeah, he got hit to get put on. So he got hit by a pitch pitch to put on. And he was on first base. Toronto hits the ball. And uh, it's going to be a double play ball. And so Batista slides hard into second base. And uh, on the slide... Takes out shortstop. Takes out the shortstop, the door. And Odor was not happy with this at all. And it was really interesting. They kind of, you know, got... Just like typical guys, right? They poof out their chest. They go into each other. However, in this instance, Odor didn't hesitate. He was a little patty cake, little thing you see in baseball all the time. Okay, you patty cake with each other, and the dugout's clear, and it's nothing. Odor swung a haymaker on Batista and connected so hard, Batista's glasses go flying. And helmet, helmet, and glasses... Helmet, Spit flying it looked like a heavyweight but, punch best connection on a punch in baseball history Oh, it was yeah. if you got to see this if you guys haven't looked this up yet. Look up this punch. It was fantastic and Bob, what do you think of this?
1: <laughs> Batista was trying to take him out right like that That's Whoa. that's kind of the idea is that a lot of times when there's a double play opportunity the guy sliding into second will try to take out the shortstop so that he can't make the throw to first to make the double play?
0: Correct. It wasn't even yeah. a dirty play. It was Isn't one, that considered I mean, kind of dirty? His cleats were down. His cleats weren't up. Oh, to okay. he slide away from the base, though. Oh, he's trying to take him out, no yeah. doubt. So, I mean.
1: That seems kind of dirty to me. A new, that's the
0: that's new Chase Utley rule. I mean, it's like part of baseball, though. Yeah, but that for rule. For years. That, that rule has just changed recently to not be doing that because of the Chase Utley play from the playoffs a couple years ago. But anyway, that's still going to happen. I mean, the reason why it escalated this quickly is only because of the history. Between. Oh, they hate Batista. Yeah, this... the Rangers hate Batista.
1: How good did that feel for Odor dropping those rights on him like that? Oh, now Oh he... man, he must have been so damn happy.
0: Imagine his you legacy know? now. He's He'll gonna take be that game
1: suspension, no problem. Oh,
0: bam! Oh, he bam! He's going to be known now as the guy <laughs> that freaking can fight, right? Damn, Daniel. Yeah. Back he's... at it again with the right cross. If I'm a Texas Rangers fan... I'm going to love him, right? I'd be, I'm going to really love him, root for him. I think he is going to make a lot of money off of this bunch. It sounds ridiculous, but I really think he's going to make money off of
1: You know what? Lots of times when I watch these professional athletes get into little scuffles, it's incredible to me because we're talking about, like, the most athletic people in the world. And then they – it's time to get into, like, a physical encounter and they look like they've never, like – been in a been in a scuffle before, like they're running. A lot of guys. When I watched that fight, guys were running out from the Blue Jays from the bench, like swinging their arms like monkeys, just no composure, no idea what the what to do or like how to like physically contact another man. Not O'Dor, man. I mean, at least his his right cross, he looked like a professional. Like that dude looks oh, like he had a
0: base. He had a straight, solid punch. Yeah. Freaking yeah.
1: He, he looked like. Uh, Props to Batista for taking that on the chin Hell, and you not, have to not falling Batista down. Yeah.
0: You heard Batista's quote afterwards, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he, he's he was surprised. <laughs> well, Batista was just like, yeah, he got me good, but it takes a lot bigger man to knock me down. Oh, what, a, that...
1: what a little cop-out, man. Nothing.
0: I love it. Why would th- I love Batista's comment. Well, I, that, think it's I, a,
1: mean, I think it's a cop-out. It, what, like, how, a
0: cop-out? How, big,
1: how big does he have to be? Why didn't, why didn't Batista, like why didn't Batista hit him? like, like well, He was he's, he's like, rocked. Yeah, I lost the fight, but I didn't get knocked down at least. No,
0: if you guys saw it, though, as soon as he got punched, other players came in and started grabbing them. Batista he's lucky like,
1: they grabbed him, dude, oh, because he would have got his ass kicked.
0: No, he, is like, he was rocked. Yeah. However, but you could say Batista did start throwing punches, but he, he couldn't. Have. They would already be grabbing him. But I love Batista's comments. Oh, why like... would you ever say that? Oh, yeah, he freaking kicked my ass. You don't say that. Well, this <laughs> is. Like... <laughs> What the hell are well, you thinking? Well, either way, this is good for baseball. I mean, Batista's a pretty outspoken guy. Other other times, he's he's said some kind of like iffy stuff that's interesting that draws that draws people into baseball. Like he's talked about his contract issues and that and things like that. And I mean, overall, I, is this the most interesting or that's brought other people into baseball this season? Like this might be. We're talking about I mean, it now on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is the first time we've really talked about baseball. This is might be the biggest baseball story.
1: Baseball yeah. has gotten, uh, I mean, tastes have changed here in America. You know, like we're all about craft beer now. People are going out to Thai food restaurants and eating Cajun food. Like, we like exciting things. We're not just doing the same boring shit all the time. Like, we want some controversy we want some flavor we want some uh some fresh taste some new ideas and i feel like baseball needs to get with the times and do something a little more fun i don't know
0: some venezuelan punches yeah like, we don't you know what they call those <laughs> chingasos. what well, that at the end of the that's what he said He said, come here chingazo <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about in the seventh inning stretch, they just have like the two shortstops fight each other then. How about that? Yeah.
1: Well, maybe we could incorporate a little more professional wrestling into baseball if yeah. it's, it's going to get us talking about it.
0: Yeah. Well, this makes sense. This is a good transition here. It is This really goes with the big movement that a lot of the biggest stars in baseball are trying to make happen right now. If you guys have been following Bryce Harper or Yasiel Puig, some of the big stars, they are being quoted saying, we're trying to make baseball fun again. That's what they want to do. They want to get baseball fun so it gets a lot of the youth to play baseball and make it the number one sport in America again. And this leads permanently into the bat flip because the bat flip is part of what Harper is talking about. He hits a big home run. He wants to celebrate. He wants to do this. So the bat flip now just led to a fight. So is this making baseball fun again the right thing? What do you, Thomas, what is your take? Do you agree with making baseball fun again in this fashion or not? Do I believe in in celebration. Yeah, that's what it is. It's celebration. I, I feel like players should be able to toss their bats, flip their bats however they want in an exciting moment. Cause what do pitchers do when they get an important out in an exciting moment? They boast, they scream, they'll they'll stare down the batter, and I don't really there's there can't really be repercussions from that. Like the pitchers don't come up to bat a lot of times or I mean, so it just it's a bigger deal when a when a hitter does that but I have absolutely no problem with with a bat flip I mean that bat flip by Bautista made headlines it was exciting like Bobby said it brought flavor into the sport
1: can I contribute something here from an outsider's perspective as someone who's not a huge baseball fan like I usually follow the last two series of the playoffs and that's it um I feel like Flipping bats is only controversial to baseball blue bloods that are, that have kind of, that like know the traditions of the sport, know what's common. Because to me, it literally is like nothing. Like I'm used to watching pro football, you know, and guys are jumping up in the stands, mocking each other, getting in each other's face all the time, pushing each Old other. All pro football. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I just feel like, like, yeah, the, just the fact that there's even like, like whether or not you throw a bat after you flip a home run is controversial I feel like kind of shows the state of where baseball is at these days it's like it's behind the times like this it guys celebrating doing the moonwalk to first base you know it's it's gonna be fun for a little while but you gotta change more than just like being able to show a little emotion to make baseball uh, popular and fun with uh, kids that haven't been grown up with it
0: I completely agree it's pretty a lot of people said that hitting a baseball in major league is the hardest thing to do in sports right and so if you can hit a baseball 400 feet hell yeah celebrate why would you not celebrate if you just achieve something that's extremely difficult and celebrate that's how sports are people get happy they get excited that's why you do play sports right
1: so do uh do yasiel puig and bryce harper do they have any other ideas about how to make baseball fun again i know like inappropriate throws from the outfield that their teammates get mad at them about
0: is it... <laughs> they challenge the outfield. They yeah exactly. They go yeah. they, they run harder on the bases. Well, they challenge the bases. Well, Puig does that for sure. I don't know if does Harper, Harper does. It? Yeah, Harper steals second to third all the time when really? he has really uh, to the to the baseball blue buds no reason to do so. Uh huh. Well, Har- Harper has gotten scrutinized for not running out ground balls a lot of the time. That's yeah. that was the whole. Papelbon and his fight. But I know Puig's a hustler. He'll, he'll like try to extend a single into a double all the time. Yeah. So going on with this, I guess, popularity of baseball, it, I just want to talk about a story that happened last week, which involved um, Mets pitcher, 39-year-old Bartolo Colon. So, Cologne is often considered kind of like a funny character in this game. He's overweight. He's older. Um, but still a good pitcher. Still still a respectable Place pitcher. Plays for the New York Mets. Plays for the New York Mets. So, anyway, um, spent most of his career in the American League, so pitchers don't, don't hit. But in the National League now, he hit his first ever career home run. Um. And it was in it was in San Diego, and San Diego fans went crazy for him, like. So I mean, and it was funny. The announcers were talking about, "Oh my God, this is the slowest anyone's ever run around the bases." Just like kind of making making jokes that he's a heavy set guy, but he's not doing it to try to make baseball no. fun. Celebrating, he's just a big fat dude. Right. So, well, what's funny is afterwards, um, Cologne was in the dugout. I'm mean, in the in the locker room celebrating with champagne with his with his teammates just for that home run. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean it's it's just a regular season game. It was a home run, and he's looked at it as like a fun character in baseball, which I think is interesting because a couple years ago he got caught using PEDs, and was suspended, but now people just don't seem to care and. I kind of want to know why that is. I mean, is it simply because he's, like, I guess I'll compare him to Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is much more polarizing. But, I mean, Bonds had syringes thrown at him. Um, but Bonds also broke records. Same, same as, like, A-Rod. People hate him for doing this. But is it simply due to the fact you think that he broke these records or that he was a jerk? I think it's due to that they're not the same level of player. It's not the same thing that way. Barry Bonds and A-Rod are first ballot Hall of Famers if they never would have been any steroid implications there. And people like Bartolo Colon. He's just such a likeable guy. He's not your typical looking baseball player by any means. He's good. He's always been really good with the media. He doesn't speak English very well. But he's always fun-loving, happy dude that's traveled around baseball. And he's 39 and he hit a home run. One of the most unlikely things we've seen in sports in a long time for baseball since. That was the biggest story in baseball that day. And it was... It, I mean he just seems like somebody like it's graduation
1: season right now i'm gonna be going to graduation parties you know and, and it feels like he's somebody i would run into at one of these parties like playing horseshoe and drinking budweiser's and like he just doesn't look like a professional baseball player he looks like one of my friend's uncles <laughs> or something like this you know what i mean yeah. um as far as the steroid point goes it just seems like we might be getting desensitized to the whole thing like, I mean, I think that de- definitely think Matt has a point with some guys are likable, some guys aren't like I feel like McGuire caught harsher criticism than sosa did um and uh my kind of just because of their personalities, but I also feel like as a society, we're just getting used to the idea that that at least in baseball with how many um with how many scandals there have been and how many players have been busted for using them, we're just getting used to the idea of, like, yeah, all these baseball guys are using steroids, and uh, eventually, you, you just kind of stop caring.
0: Right. You know, doesn't it well, seem I mean, like yeah, it's so common, and and the, the fact that Sosa, McGuire, Bonds committed, like, an unforgivable sin of breaking these treasured records. Yeah. I mean, baseball purists are never... The if, if if Hall of Fame voting is up to baseball purists for as for as time goes, I mean these guys aren't going to get it. Yeah, and it kind of goes in the point also that we we're talking about baseball back then was the, such a big bigger sport than it is now. Mm-hmm. Baseball right now falls third in the power spectrum of sports behind uh, football and basketball. Where back then you could argue it was bigger, much bigger in American lives, sports for TV ratings and everything. Right. Um, And I I was going to... Well, that being said, one last point on this whole baseball topic is I know players are trying to make baseball fun, raise popularity, but part of me thinks, does this even... How concerned is Major League Baseball with this? They are making so much money as an organization. Like, these TV contracts are outrageous. The, The amount of money they're driving in, like... From um, attendance, I saw statistics. I don't have those with me right now, but it's just tremendous. So, I mean, yes, it would – why not make it fun? But uh, baseball's doing fine economically anyway. Could I ask you guys to explain something
1: to me about baseball? So what happened uh, 10 years ago, the Yankees had about twice as much money to spend as every other team in baseball. Like their salary was always –
0: there's no salary cap. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's I know, still the but same they, way. But
1: they still, but the Yankees always had the highest paid team by about twice as much. Like they just, if you were one of the best players in the league, you were going to go, you were going to get paid a lot of money to go play for the Yankees when you were a free agent. Well, the Yankees you
0: know? were great then, so that was a destination every player wanted to go to. And how so did that, that change? Big thing. Um, well, they haven't been as good. If you look at their team now, they're not. They're last in. Yeah, their they're doing division. poorly. They're last in the AL East, and. The Dodgers got a new ownership. Tons of people. Magic Johnson's a co-owner on there. They have so much money. They're throwing major contracts out there. And there still is no salary cap. However, my biggest answer with that is New York is just not the key destination for players anymore. There's multiple. I agree with that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so to finish up this baseball thing, I want to just throw out um, a couple stats here. The Chicago Cubs are the number one team in baseball right now, hands down. They have great pitching great hitting. They look like they have everything and it's really exciting for baseball If I was in Chicago, I'd be super excited because I mean they haven't won a world series in over a hundred years and uh, Their best page, their best pitcher arguably the best player Jake Arrieta has some absolutely ridiculous stats So here's one of them since last June 21st, so June 21st 2015 Jake Arietta has a higher batting average himself than the opponents he's faced. Wow. Jake Arietta is batting 238 and his opponents are batting 0. .150. So 150. Yeah. What? Is that the uh, you may not have this. But is that the lowest batting average a pitcher is giving up currently during that time frame? Okay, yes. Okay, he's he's allowing the lowest opposing batting average. Correct. Okay. That's incredible. Jake Arietta ERA is 0. 0.86 with a 20-1 and one record in his last 24 starts. Wow. Just mind-blowing. Yeah. 0. 0.86. That's ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Let's get another one here. What's interesting about Arrieta real quick is he's 30. He just got good last year as a 29-year-old. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's remarkable. So last one I got steroids, probably. That's what that's always you think of steroids <laughs> automatically in baseball. That's what well, sad. They asked him about that though, and he said, "Oh, I'm I'm flattered that people uh, think I'm using steroids." Were his comments about it. But go on, go on. So last last one here. He's given up fewer than two runs in 14 of his last 16 starts. Wow. That's it's just he he's the most dominant pitcher in baseball right now, over Clayton Kershaw. Clay, Clayton Kershaw is absolutely great. So it just it's pretty remarkable, and uh, it'll be fun to watch the Cubs this season. See if they can keep it up and uh, go for the pennant. But we're gonna take a break right now, and we'll see you back in a second. It
1: feels so true when I'm with you. I'm free. New Mexico feels like home to me. All right, here we go, guys. Back with the Rain Town Riot podcast. Uh, we got some exciting news in the NBA tonight as the NBA draft lottery results have been announced.
0: That's the best rejoin we've ever had on this show. Yeah, Bob, hell of a voice there. Yeah.
1: i got some pipes. i got I'm a man of many talents. Great job, um, man. Yeah, so it, to anyone that's unfamiliar with how the NBA draft lottery works, um, the four, there's 30 teams in the NBA. 16 of those teams make the playoffs. The other 14 teams are all put into a lottery with the potential to win either the first, second, or third pick. Um, The way it works is that you're granted a certain number of ping pong balls based on how poorly you finish. If you're the worst team, you get the most ping pong balls. If you're the best of those 14 teams, you get the least. Um, And then so at the end of the year, they they pull these ping pong balls out of a uh, shaker, and the first three teams are announced, and then the next up to fourteen are in ascending order based on their schedule and uh The reason it's so exciting is because in the n b a um top picks are so valuable superstars only come along so often and, and very often they're one of they're one of the top- uh couple picks we've got some big stars in this upcoming draft um Ben Simmons looks like a surefire superstar. The guy looks uh, like the closest thing we've had to LeBron James since LeBron James came out in 2003. We've also got Brandon Ingram out of Duke, who uh, is incredible with with his skill, what he's able to do um, at his size and uh, skill level. So yeah, it's exciting. Matt, you want to uh, break the news on who won the NBA Draft Lottery?
0: All right, so this was a really exciting draft, dra- <laughs> wow, NBA draft lottery because there are so many potential trade things that could happen and come out of this and really affect teams' future. So we'll break it down like this. The Philadelphia 76ers finally won the draft lottery. They got the first pick. They've been the worst team in basketball for a couple of years now, been an embarrassment to the league, and they f- all they're losing finally comes fruition and they get the first pick. So they got the number one overall pick. The Los Angeles Lakers are breathing a major sigh of relief because they got the second overall pick. Boston got the third pick. And then after that, it falls into record-based. So Phoenix gets the fourth pick. Minnesota, fifth. New Orleans, sixth. Denver, seventh. Sacramento, eighth. Toronto, ninth. Because they are due to trade. And Milwaukee, ten. So the most interesting aspect, in my opinion, from this draft lottery was that the Los Angeles Lakers were able to retain their pick. So from a prior the Steve Nash trade, when Los Angeles Lakers acquired Steve Nash um, several years back, they traded for the Phoenix Suns the number one, that first round pick. And that pick was traded from the Suns to the Philadelphia 76ers uh, last year. And so the Lakers had their pick, um, the second overall here, and if it would have fallen out of the top three, they would have lost their pick. So if it would have fell the fourth, it would have gone to the Philadelphia 76ers instead of the Los Angeles Lakers. So, so the Sixers could have been sitting with the first and fourth pick. However, the Lakers got second, and they can get, there's really, there's the two prize prospects, and there's some really good pieces after that, according to a lot of NBA scouts. So, the Lakers are breathing a big sigh of relief. What's your thoughts, Thomas? So, the most interesting thing to me is who will go number three. I think, for the most part, people are agreeing that Simmons is going to go number one, and um,
1: Ingram Ingram. Ingram
0: is going number two, and then there's a whole uh, list of people that can go three. Who's... Three is Boston. Boston, okay.
1: So I, I'll I'll say this on this topic. Every year um there is there is some change up with with the potential of who could go one, two and three. At this at this point in the draft process last year, it felt like a for sure thing that uh Okafor Towns and Towns would be the number one and two overall oh. pick. And so it didn't change too much, but D'Angelo Russell crept in and did get the second overall pick. We. I mean, so we're still looking at uh teams have to bring these guys in, they have to work out with them. There's a potential for a lot of trades. Um it is big time for the Lakers in their rebuilding phase and for the 76ers that they got the first overall pick cuz now they finally get somebody that uh should end up being an all-star player for them. Um but it's also big time for the Lakers because they're in the middle of a rebuilding phase and missing out on a uh, top rookie would have been a big loss for them. It would have, would have set them back a lot. Um, would have been big time bummer for Bill, uh, Luke Walton who just took the job there as the head coach, leaving the warriors to work there uh, would have majorly sucked for him. He probably wouldn't have experienced much, much success or growth within upcoming roster and maybe uh, have a short stint as a head coach. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about some of the other prospects besides uh, Simmons and Ingram. Uh, Matt, who do you like? As
0: I think Boston's pick, those guys. I think Boston's pick three. The fact that Boston fell to the third pick um, really solidifies that Murray, the gu- shooting guard slash point guard from Kentucky, is going to be drafted there. And my reasoning for that is that they need shooting so desperately, desperately on Boston. And Buddy Hill could be contention there as well, but I think they're going to go with the younger prospect, Murray, that is a really good shooter, playmaker, and could be a really key piece to that team.
1: It's That's interesting. Boston is in a very, very interesting position as a team that was already competing at the top of the East this following, uh, this previous year. And now they've got selection of a top three pick. So, obviously, they're not a team that has a lot of holes or they wouldn't have done as well as they did. But they, you're right, they do need outside shooting. Uh, looking at their roster, they already have a lot of strength at guard. So, it's interesting having two of the best shooters in the draft, uh, Murray and Heald. Uh, we had talked about a comparison between these guys on previous draft, on, uh previous uh podcasts. But it's interesting because neither one of them really fills a whole position wise. Boston's weakest position would kind of be in the post, a lot of people would argue.
0: It depends how highly ranked you have A.B. Bradley, um Isaiah Thomas is their best player. No yeah. doubt he's an all star. Um but one thing about Murray that he is a big player. He's six four, so he could play shooting guard on that team and biblical be- Another ball liner to give maybe Isaiah Thomas some off the ball that could help. However, I think either pick they do, he's gonna be coming off the bench to start the season. So a couple questions because Bobby is our uh I guess draft expert. He knows more about these prospects than Raymer and I. So one is what position is Dragon Bender?
1: The last Dragon Bender. The last
0: Dragon Bender, what what position is he perceivably going to be playing? A four or five? stretch four.
1: He looks like a 4. A stretch he, lo- four. he looks okay. like a uh, a stretch 4. I mean, it's it's eerie um, cuz when you're wa- when you're watching the guy, his immediate comparison is Chris stapps Porzingis and maybe that's uh, because of the immediacy and how uh, prominent Chris Ta- Stapps is on all of our mind having just broken the scene in this last year.
0: Well, let me stop you really, quick, really yeah. quick. Dragon Bender just to clarify for our listeners is a top one of the top prospects coming in this draft. He's the top international player coming in this draft. Croatia. Croatian. And there you go, Bob. Just keep going. Yeah, so you've always got to be careful when you're looking at draft
1: prospects and you're thinking about comparing him to a current star player because that's that's not really how it works. Some teams have messed up. uh, My Detroit Pistons messed up big time in 2003 drafting Darko Milicic. And the reason that they did it was because uh, they were caught on the tails of Dirk Nowitzki becoming a superstar. And, they, and so they were thinking there's going to be all these superstar seven-footers coming across from Europe that are going to be three-point shooters and going to revolutionize the game. And they thought they had the next one. In the meantime, they passed up uh, future Hall of Famers and guys that were easy easy picks. Like Carmelo Anthony was a freshman that uh, just led his team to the national championship that year. And Dwayne Wade let him deepen. Dwayne Wade looked. Both of these guys looked like surefire all stars, and turned out to be surefire all stars. Like uh, both those guys will be in the Hall of Fame one day. And Darko Milicic is now um, dabbling in professional fighting. Like gave up on basketball. Never really loved it. So so when you're looking at, I feel like a lot of the allure with Dragon Bender is like Chris Stapps' success this year with the Knicks has increased his stock heavily. And if I was an NBA GM, I would be looking – I would be trying to really differentiate, like, is this guy going to have the same level of success Chris Depps has? Does he have the same mentality? Does he have the same athletic ability? Does Does he have the same feel for the game? Or does he just look similar on tape playing against inferior competition? So I mean it's interesting. He's a very intriguing prospect. He he runs like a gazelle. He's seven foot one. Um seems pretty tough, plays obviously above the rim, has the outside shot. He has all the same looks that Chris Stapps has. And uh if you could go back to last year's draft, Chris Stapps would uh be the number two overall pick behind Anthony Towns. So I mean, it's interesting. I think Celtics are definitely going to look at him. He's going to be in play in a top five pick just because of his potential. But he's also whenever when you're drafting these guys uh, that you don't know as much about, you haven't seen him play against similar commodities, then it's a uh, a lot more question marks. It's
0: a great point, Bob, because Bender has not worked out for any teams yet. He hasn't done anything. So a lot of these. NBA teams are in limbo right now with all these international prospects because one of the most interesting things with a lot of these players, they don't play that much in international overseas because they're so young playing in all these professional leagues and they don't want to get hurt because they know their potential. They play 10 minutes a night. So a lot of NBA teams and scouts don't have a lot of tape or a lot of actually seeing him play a lot. So a lot of international players raise or lose their stock based on the workouts they do pre-draft. So Bender could dramatically impact his draft when he comes over after the season ends, which will be the end of this month, and he'll work out for NBA teams and really solidify his position in the draft.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we have a tendency as American fans to kind of disrespect what's going on internationally in the basketball community, even though uh, we see yearly... De- definitely, these teams are not exactly NBA caliber, but there are some incredible teams playing playing in, uh, in Europe when, with Real Madrid and Barcelona and uh, Olympiacos, just teams through the Greek League, uh, German League, Spain. the Spanish League. And um, and so we look at these prospects and we think, this guy isn't playing more than 15 minutes a night for this team, why would he be good in the NBA? But you're talking about an 18-year-old playing with uh, some of the best basketball players in the world. These 28-year-old guys who have been doing this their whole life. A lot of them are come from the American system. A lot of them have played in the NBA before. A lot of and and they're just they're the best players that that part of the world has to offer. And they love basketball and they're they're yeah, they're incredible at it. And so it's interesting. But then then these same guys that have played 15 minutes in the Euro League have had success over here. Brandon Jennings went it he uh, foregoed college to go play pro overseas and ended up playing like nine minutes a night in the italian league and everyone huge questions about him after that they're saying why why didn't he have success and then he competed for rookie of the year the following year with the bucks so it's just it's interesting um it's just hard to gauge the the foreign prospects you've got to really know basketball you've got to really look at at uh, their skills, and hopefully get a good chance to interview with them. I mean, it's tough. Lots of times they don't speak English very well either.
0: So, Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, I feel like this overall NBA draft will be interesting on how it falls, how many international players selected early with the Porzingis effect. And just to clarify, Boston is drafting third overall via a trade with the Brooklyn Nets when they traded Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce all over to Brooklyn, and the Celtics got a slew of draft picks. Yeah, we referenced this trade before that really messed up Brooklyn for years to come.
1: Pick their pockets. I think they have two more of Brooklyn's draft picks in the future. So, assuming Brooklyn is going to continue to be lousy with their inability to, like, draft new players or sign
0: new players to play with their lousy players. Brooklyn might be the worst in the NBA next year. If Philadelphia gets Simmons and... Embiid comes back and can play an Okafor and the other guy coming over from, what is it, Serbia or something like that? Dario Sarek. Sarek, yeah, the 6'10 stud. 6'10 dude. Uh, There's definitely possibly Brooklyn be the worst team. So it's going to be a riches for the Boston Celtics, that's for sure.
1: Very exciting stuff. Um, Some other guys I want to give a shout out to talking about NBA draft. I really like. I really like some of the seniors that stayed along. We go, this year we're going to see more seniors in the lottery than we have before. Um, Chris Dunn out of Providence. Buddy Heald out of Oklahoma. Denzel Valentine out of uh, Michigan State. All three of these guys I expect to be picked pretty early in the draft and have success. Um, and I think it's just a testament to uh, t- having the patience to stay in the college game work on your game, hone your skill before you come out and uh,
0: expect to be paid money to play basketball. So my favorite part about this whole thing, which is why today is so exciting, is because you get to start like placing players on different teams. It's so fun to think of the hypothetical, what if this player went to that team, who's a good fit? So just, I just want to cover my, maybe the one I'm most interested about real quick is Minnesota Timberwolves so where would you guys say are the biggest needs and potential players because I mean right off the bat it seems like Rubio I mean Rubio is just not a good fit or just not the player people thought that he was going to be due to his shooting and Chris Dunn being a very uh, versatile dynamic player could be a good fit for them there. But, I mean, who else do you guys think the Timberwolves could use? Well, I mean, I th- go ahead, Nick. Okay, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of the – I think Rubio is fits very well with the team. I'm kind of the outlier in that. Um, however, for this draft, I think there's two players they're going to be targeting. At, they're failing to the fifth overall pick. Um, and I think Buddy Heald will, has a good chance to still be available there. And I think he would be a good, te- a good player to get some scoring on that team who needs outside shooting. Has a lot of tremendous talent. The most, the most talent for their age by far in the NBA. Carl Anthony Talents is going to be a surefire stud. He already is. And then Wiggins and Levine, and, Levine yeah. and Muhammad off the bench, and a lot of just youth on that team. However, shooting is still something they need. And I think having a senior coming in from college could really be a good person. And then the stretch four position. They have the Marquette center slash power forward that supposedly has a great stroke from three. He didn't shoot it. This is a really weird thing with this Marquette guy because everybody keeps talking. has a great stroke, great-looking shot. However, a lot of the shots don't go in all the time.
1: He does so have a great-looking shot,
0: though. It's like a really beautiful shot. But they don't go in, they don't go in. So a lot of NBA scouts are saying, all right, we'll put him in the NBA system, get him shooting every day, nonstop, not going to worry about anything else. He's going to be into a great shooter. He's a big man, so I think that's another way they can look. And Bob, what are your thoughts?
1: I kind of agree with Matt. I don't think uh, Rubio is necessarily a weakness. He's one of the best defensive uh, point guards in the league. And he also obviously has some of the best court vision in connection with, like, putting passes at the right place in time uh, to set guys up to succeed. His shooting is an obvious weakness. I feel like, obviously, they're set at center. They've got uh, a guy that I expect to be one of the best centers in the league for a long time, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Wiggins is another position, but he brings so much versatility that he doesn't really blo- block up a position for them. So it's going to be about who's available. I expect them to take a a long look at Dragon Bender if he's there. I like Buddy Heald for them. I like Jamal Murray for them. I like... And I, I think if Chris Dunn is on the board, um, even though Rubio may not necessarily be the problem, I like the guy. I like what he brings to the table athletically with his speed, with his pace of play. I think he could uh, really make that quite an up-tempo team. And there's potential they could even play along together. I see... They they've got a lot of strength and a lot of versatility on their roster, so it's it's a position where they're they're definitely have a lot of options. Obviously the weakness the weakest point of their team when you look at their starting roster, uh Gorgie Jang is projected to be their power forward. Um, backed up with Adrian Payne. So there's some young guys that have an opportunity to develop, but probably neither one of them will be a uh, a real strength when you look when you look at them on a roster more more role players so probably power forward
0: a, re- a report came out today that dunn is the hottest rising player right now in the draft and he's going to be competing for the top spot after ingram and uh, simmons come off the board which i mean it's just a report so you're not quite sure but i'll give you just a quick answer both of you guys would you take if you're Minnesota? Would you take Buddy Hield or Chris Dunn? They're both on the board. I gotta go with Buddy Hield in that situation. Um, I think you sold me on Hield with the senior experience and ability to shoot. They both are seniors, so that's gonna be a chip. But I think I would go with Hield as well. Or seems he a like a great accessory. Chris Dunn's a junior. Oh, I Chris Dunn's a junior. Yeah. It? Okay. It
1: just seems it just seems like such a great accessory to them to be able to space the floor more because. Uh, I mean, Wiggins is progressing as a shooter, but he's still not strong not, at it at all. Towns already. can kind of shoot some. Their power forward situation is not full of shooters and their point guard isn't. So, shooting is a real lack for them. Towns I think it is the second still best shooter
0: on the team right now. Behind Levine.
1: Yeah. I mean, if Fields still available, I think you take him. I mean, it, it uh... Kind of causes some complication because you do have Levine, but I believe in healthy competition. Those guys are around the same age, which is kind of interesting, but I expect them both to be good players in the future.
0: Well, Hield can go on there and play with Levine or with Rubio. I think he pairs great with Rubio and with Levine and just has to make Levine move to the point guard, which he's played a lot in the NBA. Poorly. He's played, he's played You're a lot right. Poorly. poorly. You're yeah. 100% right there.
1: Either way, that is our draft roundup. Talk about some of our favorite teams. We will cover more on the draft as it gets closer. Uh, We had a lot of fun with the Raimtown Riot this week. You guys got anything left to
0: add? Just want to add in that we coined the phrase here. I can't find it else anywhere on the internet. The last Dragon Bender started here on the Raimtown Riot. The last Dragon Bender. That's going to be his nickname during his career
1: for sure, and you can be sure that you heard it first here on the Rain Town Riot. Thanks again for visiting with us. Check back in with us next week.